Hey, one more time in case you didn't hear it already. We're really glad that you're here again. My name is Ben, and we are continuing our message series on the Apostles' Creed. This is an ancient Christian document that goes back in the form we have it largely till about 400 A.D., so it's very, very old. And it's one of the few places in Christianity where most all Christians around the world for the last several hundred years have agreed. And so our purpose in this message series has been to rally around the things that are common and core to the faith, to these group of people that are described as Christians or Jesus followers. And so we've looked at that first phrase, which says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We looked at that. And then we, uh, we looked uh, last week, and in Jesus Christ, or two weeks ago, Jesus Christ has only sent our Lord. And then last week you did something, and maybe you don't know it, so I just want to kind of give you a label for what happened beautifully around here last week as we went around and served. You became the hands and feet of Jesus to this community. You really did. We served dramatically, we served deeply, and made significant investment into ministries and in people in our larger community. Uh, when the Bible describes that kind of activity among church people, among Christian people, uh, the language, the, the overarching idea of that is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit at work in the world. It's what Jesus is doing, and when we operate along the lines of what Jesus is doing, we're empowered, we're uh, anointed by God's Spirit to do that. So we're going to come back later in this year and do a, a message series that deals largely with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to kind of leave that phrase on the side for a moment, and I want to take you to the next phrase in the Apostles' Creed, which simply says, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Now, through this message series, I've been talking largely about what Christians outside of this room and in this room have held in common. But today, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about us for a few moments. I want to talk about our church. I want to take you back to some of the things that were on our minds when we started this church almost 10 years ago, some of the things that we're still quite hot about today, and uh, a few things that are kind of in front of us. But first of all, before I do that, it was interesting. I was reading the news this week. Did you see this guy that was rescued uh, from an island? He had been stranded there for 15 years. Did you guys see this in the news? 15 years he had been stranded. And when they went to pick him up, he was so overjoyed. And, and they began to ask him questions and investigate this, the place where he was. How did he survive? And uh, when, when they kind of stepped into the interior of the island, they discovered that this man who had been alone on this island all by himself had built an entire community. There was a school. He had built a school. This is a joke, by the way. There was a school. You were wondering, like, man, that's just odd. There was, there was a school. There was a hospital. There was a police and fire department. There were a few houses. And then they noticed something very strange. They noticed that there were two churches on that island where there was only one person. So they asked the guy about this. They said, what's the deal with two churches? He said, well, 15 years ago when I got the idea, the first thing I thought I would do when I needed to build this community was I wanted to build a place of worship. So I built that church right over there, the one you see in the middle of the town. I said, well, that, that, that's amazing. What, what, what's the deal with the second story? He said, well, about seven years in, I decided that the people in that church over there, they weren't really Christian. So I built another church and went over here. Churches, friends, are messy. Churches are messy. They always have been. They always will be because they're full of people. Churches are messy because... Jesus didn't come to redeem the people who had it all together, the people who didn't need a Savior. He came for people whose lives were spiritually broken. And because our lives are spiritually broken, that, that has implications for every area of life. It impacts our relationships, the way we think, 
how we carry ourselves, conduct ourselves, the way we do our money, the, the way we think about our role in the world, it impacts the way we seek happiness and what brings us pain. People are messy, and because people are messy, church is messy. Now, about 10, 11 years ago now, there were a handful of us that got together and began talking about creating another church in Cincinnati, a greater Cincinnati area. We weren't even sure at the time exactly where. Here's the quick story on that, and then I want to take you to, to God's Word. Jill and I had been serving in our local church. We were attending church in Loveland, a place called North Star Church. That church had, was only two years old. We had been there from the beginning. We, we rallied with a group of people to start that church, and the church that we had started was thriving. We were a couple hundred strong, and we were loving what God was doing there. I was serving as a chaplain at a private Christian school. Many of you have heard of Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. I was serving as the chaplain there and a Bible teacher. But for Jill and I, we believed in the local church. And we ultimately wanted to dedicate our lives to doing God's work in the local church. We had believed for years, ever since college, when I asked her to marry me, and before I said to her, will you marry me, I kind of laid out my life plan, and I said, here's, here's what I know God wants to do with my life. God wants to use me in ministry for the rest of my life. I believe this to the core of who I am. So if I'm wrong, it's still where I'm headed. And so I said to her, before you can begin to date me, before we get very serious, before I fall in love with you, I just need to know if you're going to be okay with that. Because if you're not, I need to break this thing off because I'm starting to like you. I think you're starting to like me. And this is where I'm headed. And if you can't go with me, then, then I need to find somebody that can. And I didn't know what she was going to say because she waited a few days to answer me. I was very nervous. I started thinking, maybe I miss God somewhere in this because she's very pretty, Lord, clearly. And um, so at, uh, she said, yes, this is, this is what I would like to do as well. And, I, I, you know, and so I kind of knew at that moment this was going to be a, a serious thing. So we had committed our lives to the local church. And so we were volunteering at this church. We weren't getting paid. I was helping on Sunday morning. Jill had much more grace. She was working in the kids' ministry. Um, I... I love my kids. Your kids are a challenge for me. Um, the thing I love about our kids' ministry is they love your kids as much as they love their own kids. And it's wonderful because they love my kids as well, almost as much as I do, which is phenomenal. So she was serving in kids' ministry. And I sat down with my pastor and I said, look, here's the deal. The ministry I'm doing is good. I'm enjoying it. I could be here for years. I just know I'm not exactly where God would like me to be. I don't know all that it means, but I'm going to go back to my denomination that I've grown up in. I have a lot of relationships, and I'm going to say to them, hey, I'm interested. Would you help me find a church? And so he looked at me and said, Ben, you could do that. You know, I, we, I see God's hand on your life. I mean, we've known each other. He's one of my best friends in life. He said, but I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this. Don't do that. And right there in the, in the middle of, uh, uh, it, was, it was Panera over at uh, Harper's Point, he looked at me and he said, here, here's what, what I would like. He said, I'd like to give you $60,000 and you go wherever you want to go in the world and you start a church. Now, I didn't know that conversation was coming. It wasn't a grand scheme I was trying to manipulate myself into. So when he threw that at me, we're, we're pretty straightforward with each other. I looked at him and I said, no way, man. That sounds risky. I've got a potential out west in Arizona where the weather is much better. At a church that's established, they have a parsonage. Do you know what that is? It's a house that pastors can live in. And they're going to give me a car big deal. 
I got four kids. I'm looking at them thinking, that sounds risky. This sounds like a really good deal. And then I went home, and for 48 hours, I couldn't sleep. And I talked with my wife about it, and it wrecked me on the inside. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. You find out some bit of information, and it just messes you up. I couldn't sleep. So I called him. I said, I don't like you. You have upset me. I used uh, all kinds of, of words to describe how internally I was messed up. And yet, at the same time, I knew in the middle of all that emotion, God was speaking in some way. You may ask me how I know, how I knew. I, I don't know how to tell you how I knew. I just knew. So we got back together, and over the course of the next couple of weeks, it wasn't very long, I had said, yes, we're going to do that. I didn't know where. I began to chat with a few friends, and the first person I chatted with was my brother, and I said, look, I don't know. What do you think about this? And before you tell me you think I should, if you say yes, I'd like you to do it with me. And he said, yeah, I, th- I think I, think I, I kind of hear God in the middle of that. And we began to talk with our friends, and Jill and I had a small group that we were a part of, and we, we spoke to them. And, and, and little by little, but very quickly, God get, began to bring a group of people together. And at the time, we were beginning to just talk about it. We decided that, hey, God years ago had put us near Union Center. That's where Jill and I lived, and a lot of us had kind of lived in and around Union Center. So we started calling ourselves the Union Center Church Plant. A, a church plant is just a new church. And so that's what, that was our name. And at one of our first gatherings, I'm going somewhere with this, at one of our first gatherings, um, kind of a handful of us that were uh, emerging as leadership decided that, you know, Union Center Church Plant sounds very nondescript. We need a name because names, you know, rally people. And so um, I prayed, fasted, spent weeks and months on my knees before God, and I came up with a great church name. Um, it is a fine church name. It's called Veritas. It's Latin for truth. It's a great church name. Uh, at some point, we're going to change our name to that. Um, I loved the name Veritas. And then the, the other name that, that kind of emerged was Watermark. Because, you know, when you have a piece of paper, it has a watermark on it, and you write the text on it, but it's still underneath, you can see the brand. Water, isn't that just, ugh. Um, I just knew these were great names for a church. And so we got together with our group uh, on Super Bowl um, Sunday, and we were having this big, big event at a person's house. I'll never forget the day. It was the day Janet Jackson exposed herself to all of us in the middle of our church meeting. It was a lot of fun. We knew we were going to be a little different uh, on that, at, at that event. And so we put up four or five pieces of paper with names of churches on them. Uh, my great one, Veritas, my fall behind, Watermark. There were a handful others. And uh, then we put up a blank sheet of paper and just, just to kind of placate the crowd said, if you, can, if, if you have a better name, put it up here. And then we asked people to go around and make marks on the pieces of paper about what they thought, what impressions they had. And then we were going to kind of come together and decide that I knew. In my heart of hearts, I knew we would be Veritas Church. And so at some point in the night, and I don't even remember when it exactly happened, somebody wrote on that blank piece of paper, Four Corners Community Church, and then a sentence or two where the lady, I found out later, wrote that in the, in the book of Acts, there's a story of where Peter has a vision and a sheet comes down from heaven. I'm going to read that passage for you in a minute. And in this vision, the four corners of the sheet open up and that is the beginning of the gospel going around the world to the four corners of the earth. I read it, and when I first read it, I was like, hmm. By the end of the night, there were a handful of small marks on all the church names that I had provided and others had provided. But on this handwritten one, in poorly legible script, um, there was 
a page and then you turn the page over, it just marks people saying, this resonates with me. The gospel going around the world, that resonates with me. That resonates with me. And in their own ways, they were saying that. And by the end of the night, without even taking a vote, we were Four Corners Community Church. I want to take you back to that passage because it's a beautiful passage. And as we look at the church, I want to share with you five things kind of in quick order that I love about our church and two things I don't particularly enjoy, all right? I'm throwing the two things on the end to keep you here to the end. All right, so here we go. Acts chapter 10. Here's what the Bible says, that story I was referring to. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, Peter at this point is a major leader in the church. It was to Peter that Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, you're a rock. That's what his name means, Petros. You're a rock. And I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Those were Jesus' words. I will build my church. By the way, I find great comfort in those words. Because from time to time, I have to be reminded that I don't build the church. And we don't build the church. Jesus builds his church. It's his church. We are his people. This is his world. They are his resources. They're not ours. But we get the privilege of being used by Jesus in the building of his church. And it's an incredible privilege. I love the words of Jesus to Peter. And so when you turn your Bible into the book of Acts, you discover that, in fact, Peter is at the center of all the activity. And at this point in the story, all the people are hearing the message of Jesus after Jesus has died and been resurrected. All these eyewitnesses to the resurrection are going around telling this story. And they're all largely Jewish. And one day, Peter has a vision that we're about to read. He went up on the roof to pray, and the Bible says that he became hungry and wanted something to eat. I love that phrase in the Bible. You know why? Because every time I bend my knees to pray, I get hungry or sleepy or bored or I want to watch TV. You guys ever do that? You know why that's okay? Because the Apostle Peter had the same thing happen to him. He sits down to pray, and he gets hungry. But he presses through. He does press through. He became hungry, and he wanted something. And so while the meal was being prepared, the Bible says he fell into a trance. This is where you get that doo-doo-doo-doo, all right, kind of thing going on here, kind of weird Twilight Zone-ish thing, very spiritual thing. We don't know all that it means. Vision, I think, is a good word here. And here's what he saw in verse 11. He saw the heavens open and something like a large sheet being let down, by the earth, uh, down to the earth by its four corners. So a sheet, you, you've seen a bed sheet, four corners gathered together, and it's being let down, all right? It contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, if you're Jewish and you read that phrase, you go, uh-oh, because you're very concerned about kosher laws and dietary laws, and he's hungry. So the food imagery is all here. You need to keep that food imagery in the back of your mind for just a moment. But not only is there um, in this sheet that's coming down from heaven, this trance-like thing that he's seeing, uh, in the sheet there are animals that he knows he's not allowed to eat. They're unclean. They're not kosher. They don't fit the dietary laws. Right? Then a voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter gets up from this vision, and the next thing that happens in the story is he goes to a man's house by the name of Cornelius. 
Cornelius in our Bibles is the first guy in the book of Acts. Luke writes the story. He's the first guy who is a non-Jewish person who commits his life to Jesus. All of us that didn't grow up with the bloodline of being Jewish without that heritage, we are the direct spiritual descendants of Cornelius. And Peter, who had been the apostle to the Jews, is the first guy, and he does it in direct response to what he sees here. The four corners of the sheet opens, and those people who were called unclean, not a part of the family, not acceptable, not the original group, they get to now partake of all the spiritual nourishment that Jesus was going to do in the life of the church. Do you remember Peter's story at all? If you don't, let me tell you about a particular time in his story that's very um, challenging for him. Peter had denied Jesus three times while Jesus was on trial. A little girl says to him, you were with Jesus. And he says, and he begins to cuss like a sailor and that he was. And he says, no, I, I, I wasn't. I don't even know who that, who that man was, one, who that man is. And three times, Peter denies Jesus. And after Jesus is resurrected, Peter encounters the resurrected Jesus. And three times, the resurrected Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And with indignation, Peter says, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And here we are with food imagery all over this. Peter's hungry. Cornelius, a non-Jew, had been praying. And the Bible says that his prayers and his offerings had come up to God God heard and saw his sincere heart. And God sends Peter to share with Cornelius the message of the gospel. And Cornelius becomes the first of literally hundreds of millions of people who don't have that Jewish background, who become flaming, white-hot followers of Jesus, who was a Jew. And the gospel begins to go around the world in Acts chapter 10. And it's a fitting name for our church to be called Four Corners Church. So from Acts chapter 10 through the book of Acts, crazy things happen. Miraculous things happen. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Sumeria, ever-expanding circles, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the followers of Jesus, Jew and Gentile, take serious his words. When Jesus said, just before going back up into heaven, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you're to go and make disciples of all men, all people, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And they took his mission seriously. That's exactly the things that was, was burning on our hearts as we got together and started thinking about why another church in our area. We already had good churches. And we knew that we weren't here to fix any other church. We weren't here to be the anti-church that we didn't like because most of us came from church experiences that we pretty much liked. Unlike a lot of churches that start, by the way. There's an underbelly of churches starting sometimes, if you look in the modern world in the last 20 years, and they are a reaction to some kind of experience that somebody didn't enjoy. And so they start the antidote. They call it another church. That wasn't our experience at all. So why did we? It comes down to just a handful of principles. We, 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 who helped start this church, had a handful of friends that we knew needed to be loved, 
put into an environment where they could be accepted. And then once that happened, they'd be more open to hear the gospel of Jesus and maybe respond to it. We knew also that, that there were a handful of us that had been somewhat sitting on the sidelines watching the game being played by other followers of Jesus. And we felt a stirring in our hearts that God was calling us to get out of the stands and onto the playing field and engage the greatest, I hate this word, but game, the greatest endeavor that the world had ever seen to see lives changed. And so with both a heart for our friends and a desire to do something significant with and for God, we stepped out. And what an incredible ride. I mean, just what an incredible ride. And now we're approaching our 10th anniversary in September. This is our ninth Easter together. We, we finally have a building. It's been a game changer. It's been people come and go. Staff have come and go, have gone. I mean, there's been a lot of changes. So it's made me ask the question, what have been the constants? So I'm going to share with you in very almost testimony fa- fashion what are five things I absolutely love about our church that have been relatively constant over the years. Number one, no words on the screens for you here. Over the years, here's something that we've done that I love, and it may sound odd to you, but we have opted for messy over easy. From the early days of Four Corners Church, we have opted for messy church over easy church. I already started by telling you real church is messy. And I'm more and more okay with it. I'm not okay with it all the time, but I'm more and more okay with it. Here's what a good friend of mine who has served as a mentor in my life told me. He says that when you step into ministry, those of you that have stepped into volunteering, you probably have already encountered this. When you step into ministry, you you have to make a choice. And when you step into ministry to lead a church, the choice is pretty clear. It's either messy church or dead church. Those are your only options. So this might make you feel good if you ever went to a church that didn't have it all together, including the one you're sitting in right now. Because the real option is, is that because church is made up of people, it's either going to be messy, or we get it so anesthetized, so cleaned up, so, so much antiseptic, that by the time we're done, there's no life left in it. It's like the time my mom decided to clean the aquarium at home. We were at school. And I told you this, if you don't, didn't know my mom, her favorite love language was bleach. And so there was a little bit of green in the, uh, in the tank. So my mom just got a rag, dipped it in bleach, cleaned it, and kind of scrubbed the sides. Water, water, scrubbed the sides. When we got home, <laughs> somebody's going to write me an email about this. When we got home, the bleach had eaten the tails off of half of the fish. And by morning, they were all floating. She had overcleaned. You, you can't do that. You needed a certain amount of goop in the water to keep the fish. They needed a certain ickiness in the, in the aquarium. The same is true with church. There's a certain amount of messiness that happens. And I would like to tell you that the mess is never connected to this guy. I would like to tell you that. I would be lying if I told you that. But a lot of times what happens in messy churches is church leaders can be messy and church people can be messy. But in this church, we opted for messy over easy. In some sense, it'd be easier to schedule and plan away all the messiness of church, or at least try to do that. Create committees on subcommittees that evaluate the committees as they're committeeing. I don't don't know how to do that, all right? 
create environments and structure and strategy that is so airtight. What we found is a lot of that is necessary. A lot of that organizational stuff is messy, or is necessary, but you can't organize away the messiness inherent in people and in relationships. And yet we haven't let that scare us. We've decided to plow through over and over on that sort of thing. I need to pause right here for just a second. Gentlemen, I'm looking at my clock and it says I have 65 minutes and I know that's not true. The problem is, is I don't know how much time I have because I don't have my phone up here. So if you could get me reset there, that'd be great. All right. Sorry. By the way, in case you're wondering, my clock is right there. I'd prefer you never to look at it because usually it's in the red, which means I'm over. But for today, I don't want to go another hour. All right. I'd like to if you... Anyway, um, so we've preferred messy over easy. All right, so that's one thing I love about our church. We walk towards the mess. It's okay. Sometimes not fun. It's not enjoyable, but we do it. Number two, here's something else that I love about our church. We're committed to involving as many people as possible, as young as possible, as soon as possible, and helping us do church together. In other words, the first rung on involvement in our church is very low. The first step is very low. It's approachable. You can do it. So, sometimes people engage and participate in ministries around here, and they're not fully committed to Jesus. Sometimes they don't even know if he existed. And there are ministry things that they can be involved in here. There was diff- this is very different than churches I had been largely involved in through my childhood and adolescence and into my early 20s. In those churches, the first step to involvement, to really being a part of the church, was very high. And there were certain things you had to be able to click off in terms of what you believed and how you behaved before you could really belong to that church. But in this church, we've tried to constantly push down the rung, make the step as approachable as possible for as many as possible. And I love that about us. What it means is that right now we have teenagers who are serving preteens. We have preteens, not even, uh, not even adults, who are serving kids. And they serve them beautifully. They serve them powerfully. They serve them with anointing. And it does an amazing thing in their lives when people begin to serve others under the banner of what Jesus is doing in this world. It not only helps the person being served, but the person serving gets transformed. One of the best discipleship environments that you and I can ever be a part of is joining the team to, to be on the team of doing ministry with other people. So in this church, from day one, we've tried to make ministry and involvement as approachable as possible. Now, as you step up the rungs, there are higher requirements. We've talked about that many times from this stage. And it can be a messy process. And one of the things I love about this church, and one of the reasons why I'm always excited to invite somebody to this church is it doesn't matter what their background is, It doesn't matter what their heritage is. It doesn't matter what their mistakes are. If they come here, we're going to not only be friendly to them, we're going to try to genuinely love them. That's hard to do because maybe we don't even know them very well. And then we're going to make what we do accessible to as many people as possible. I love that when I invite a friend to this church and they show up, you're going to help me welcome them. And ministry leaders are going to extend an invitation to them. And the first time they show any interest in being on the team to make it happen, there's going to be a handful of people rally around them 
and lovingly and with some truth and some skills, training, and development all around, help them fully engage the mission of Jesus in this world. And we know this, that when people do that, it changes them. Not, it doesn't just change the people they serve. It changes the server. That's why, without apology, we constantly push for people around here to serve. And we're a big enough church that if a lot of people didn't serve, we could largely still make it. It wouldn't be all that God called us to be. It wouldn't be the right plan for us. It's not what God's called you to do, but we could. And sometimes people look at us and they think we don't need much. And in one sense, that's true. We could do this for the next 10 years. But that was never our goal. Our goal was to get as many people as possible to identify their passion, their skills, their gifts, their wiring, and get them involved out of the stands and onto the playing field. And I love that in this church, that happens at a level I have never personally seen in any other church I've ever been involved in. That it really is shared responsibility. I love it when somebody says to me after their first serving, and now we've been able to back up a month or two, and they say something, I hear these words all the time, I was afraid, I felt inadequate, I didn't know how to do it, didn't know what people would think about me, I didn't know anybody, I hope nobody would ask me any questions, I felt so dependent. And in their own words, they use these kinds of descriptors. And I love that because those very things are the environment. Those are the very stimuli that help them to depend more on God, to experience Christian community and all of its beautiful mess. I love that at our church, we've opted for messy over easy. We've opted and committed ourselves to Involving as many people as possible, as soon as possible, and as young as possible, and being a part of the team. Number three, I love at our church that we try to, that we try our best to help people with the truth we present, not just present the truth. Now let me nuance this for just a moment. There's a way of doing the Bible where basically we teach the Bible to people. So the focus is on the Bible, and we hope you get it. And then you can teach people the Bible. So the focus is on the people, and we're going to fill them with content from the Bible. Both of those are valid and fine. But here, here's been our goal from day one. It's our goal, my goal today. It's to teach people how to apply the truth of God's Word into their lives in a way that helps them. It's application-rich, and it's truth-rich. For us, it was never going to be enough for people to just know stuff, be able to answer Bible trivia, win a Jeopardy game where all the categories are on the Bible. We didn't want that. We wanted people who were close to Jesus in their journey and far from Jesus to be able to hear the truth of God's Word in words that are understandable and and applicable to their lives. We wanted people who didn't even believe in Jesus to walk away and say, that was helpful. Our assumption was very clear, that if God's word is true, we should at least help people understand it, not just know it, but understand it as proved by, proven by, they're applying that truth to their lives. So we wanted to speak in everyday language, in meaningful ways, and be as honest as we knew how to be, and engage topics that other people weren't talking about. And to see what God would do when his truth was shared in a way that people could could hear it, not just know it. And I love that we really shoot for helpful, not just true. 
We do that in this room. We do it with our kids as well. I can ask my kids every Sunday, what did you learn? And nine times out of ten, they can quickly articulate one or two key ideas. I challenge you to do that. Ask your kids, what did you learn? I also ask them, did you have fun? Because I want them to have an environment where they're learning and they're having a good time and they want to come back. You, you can't keep my kids away from this church. My wife has to get up, because I don't do it on Sundays. Still, you're, an, you're a saint. My wife gets up on Sundays, and at 7.30, she brings my 15-year-old son to church because he has to serve. Now, you would think that since he stays up late Saturday night, he'd like to sleep in, but uh-uh. He comes here, and he helps us create an environment for kids younger than him where he and the team make sure those kids hear God's truth in a way that applies to even their lives. I love that about our church. So, I love that we walk to the messes. I love that we're committed to involving as many people as possible and pushing the rung of the ladder as low as possible. I love that we try to talk about God's word in a way that's helpful, not just true. I love that here you're treated as a person, number four, not just as a group of people. And this is, this is a nuanced distinction. But we, we believe individuals matter, and your individual journey matters, and your individual story matters. So we're not trying to cookie-cut every Christian here to look the same, talk the same, believe the same, ask the same questions so we know exactly what the answers are going to be and how to provide them for you. You know, you're a person. You're not just a group of people. And this makes us drill down and ask tough questions about the quality of what we offer, not just the quantity of people involved. It, it demands that we have a certain amount of diversity of belief and experience and opinion, and that we all don't think and act and believe the same things. It means that deep down we believe better must precede us being bigger. And bigger in and of itself is not a goal. And of course we want big impact here. That's why we're expanding these rooms, and we need to do that. But it's not just to get more and more people. We want individuals to come into vital connection with Jesus, and we want them to grow. So I love that we opt for the mess. I love that we're committed to involving as many people as possible. I love that we try to be helpful and not just true. I love that we treat people individually and not just treat them as if they're all the same. And I love, number five, that we take risks. If it weren't for a group of people early on sitting around the table, then the living room, and then the school lobby, before we ever had our first service at the Rave Theater nine and a half years ago, if it weren't for that group of people being willing to take a risk, we would not be here. They invested their time, their energy. They carved out space. Very busy people carved out time to make it happen. And it hasn't been easy. And there was never a time when the plan was laid out fully in front of us. But we believe the engagement of the God's call on our church, on our lives together, that that would be enough. That just giving ourselves over to the work of Jesus would be enough. And I don't think we're wrong. So we've taken risks. We got into a building that in some sense was bigger than we needed at the time in hopes that God would fill it as we were faithful. We've committed to helping people. 
We've committed to serving India, and the need there is bigger than, than we'll ever be able to satisfy, even though we can make a major difference in their lives. We take risks to try things. I have to stand on this stage regularly and say, we have failed. I have failed. But I love that we take risks, that we have a bent towards action, not just talking. That after any conversation, any length of time, somebody's starting to say, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? I love that about us. It makes some people very uneasy. But I love that about us. Those are five things that I love about our church. And I share them with you because I want you to know where my heart is with you and with us. But the other thing I want you to understand is if you take a, a risk to invite your friends to be a part, that's largely going to be what they experience. They're going to experience some messy church but it's beautiful because they're going to be accepted right away and then they're going to be pushed to grow. Now, doesn't that sound like a paradox? Accepted right away and pushed to grow. That's messy. And we're going to make the level of their engagement, the accessibility of their engagement, that level is going to be very low so that in a small way they can begin even in this room to take a step and and we're going to talk about the Bible in ways that are applicable to their lives. And we're going to treat them as an individual. We're not trying to make them look like us. Our goal is to call them into what God has called them to. And we're going to be willing to take a risk on them. And for many of them, the world has given up. For some of them, they have given up. But we know that God hasn't given up. And if you take a risk to invite them, that's largely what they're going to experience here. Are we perfect at it? No. But we're being the church. Now, there are two things I don't enjoy. I'm going to be totally transparent with you here. I'm at zero. I'll take one, one, one minute on each of these. Number one, sometimes I have to ask for money. It drives me insane. I hate it. Now, I do it, and I'm not apologetic about it because I believe in what we're doing. I do. And I'm so excited about this Easter offering because I want to finish these spaces for our kids. And you're going to have to be patient with us because there's a lot of things in flux right now. But when it comes to just standing up here and asking people to give, here's my fear. That you're going to walk away and your friends will walk away thinking that we're only after their money. And we're not. I'm after their hearts. I'm after their hearts because that's what Jesus is after. And at the same time, it takes money to do ministry. And I want to say thank you to a handful of people here who've been carrying this load for 10 years. And some of you, you've only been here five, and you've been carrying it aggressively for five years. And if you're not helping us with money, and you can't help us, every time we talk about money, would you just ignore me? Ignore us. It doesn't apply to you if you can't. But... If you can help us and you don't, why don't you think about that? Why don't you think about that? We believe we could do a lot more if we had more money. More money to literally finish space, buy better curriculum, do even more aggressive outreach into the community. In a handful of weeks, just a few away, you're going to get the annual update from last year. I'm going to share with you like the staff salaries and stuff, like not individuals, but the amount. You're going to be surprised how low it is. It's why I don't feel ashamed to stand up and ask for money. But at the same time, I do feel tension there. So that's one thing I don't like about this. 
Here's what God's reminded me about that is, I need to do it. I need to do it because something happens in me every time I feel like I need to do it. I spend more time on my needs. I drill down deeper on why we do what we do. I face my fears of needing to be accepted and fear of rejection, and I step out into what God's called me to do. So I'm going to keep doing it from time to time and hope that you believe that that's not all that we're about. But I don't particularly like that part of my job. Here's the second thing that I don't like about our church. And this one's ten times worse than that one. I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not even close. And I want to be. I always want you to look at me and say, there's a leader worth following. And I can't sustain that. I can't keep that image propped up all the time. So, when it comes to this, it does the same thing for me that the asking for money does. It drives me to my needs. I take comfort in knowing that I'm not the only person that's ever felt this way who was called to lead a church. The Apostle Paul says it this way. With boldness, he says, I would like you guys to follow me as I follow Christ. Now, at first blush, that thing may sound arrogant. But then you look at the way he described how he followed Christ. Imperfect. He struggled. He faced obstacles. He had fights with other church leaders. He was an imperfect leader, and he still felt compelled to look at people and say, would you follow me as I follow Christ? And in that, it's a pretty healthy boundary. That to the degree to which I push people to follow Jesus, this church team pushes people to follow Jesus, that's the degree to which you should willingly engage and embrace and follow. But I wish that we never made a mistake. I wish that I never had to say I was sorry. I want, I feel like, I wish I could be that kind of person all the time who always perfectly reflected Jesus and his agenda. So, there's a lot I love about our church. And if you invite people, they're going to love it too. And then there's a handful of things that aren't so savory. From time to time, we have to talk about money. And from time to time, you have to deal with an imperfect leader. And I still think this is the best thing going. I do. I still think it's worth all the investment. I look back over the last 10 years and I think, no matter what God does with the future, this is exactly what we need to be doing. Living in the middle of messy church, committed to the truth of Jesus, committed to individuals and helping them experience him and having their lives changed by him. That's been the story in my life as I've engaged this church. That's true for my wife and my kids. Here's what I'd like you to do right now. I'd like you to take out your Connect card, and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. There's a lot more that we could say about the church. Today I talked about our church. And I hope that at whatever level you've been withholding, that this little conversation today builds a little trust for us. Here's a few steps we're going to take together as a congregation. Every week I like to give people a chance to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to make Him the leader of their lives. You do that through the grace he offers, not by anything you perform. The Bible says it this way, that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Mechanically around here, we ask you to check box A right there on your Connect card that Pastor Greg had you fill out on the, on the front end of the service. And when the offering bucket comes by at the end of the service, you put it in. In a minute, I'm going to pray about these things. 
give you a chance to use your words or borrow mine and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I want you to lead my life. Or how about next step B if you want to get baptized? We have a beautiful baptism happening here, second service. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing when somebody says, I'm all in with Jesus. Or how about next step C? Here's the verse that describes all that happened in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches, these messy churches, they were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. I'm memorizing that verse this week as a way of remembering that this is God's church and he's doing something pretty profound here. He grows our faith and he grows our impact. Or how about next step D? Pray this prayer with me every day this week. God, give me boldness to invite my friends to chocolate Easter. Give me boldness to invite my friends to chocolate Easter. I don't think they'll be disappointed if they come. Now, how about next step E? I'd like you to consider prayerfully what you're going to give to the 4C Christmas offering. Five bucks, 50 bucks, 5,000, whatever. Give what you can, make a sacrifice, and let's get this space finished for our kids. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that your plan is greater than our plans. Your ways are higher than our ways. And yet you let us be a part. God, would you help us be a church that calls people into relationship with you, that extends your love, that tells your truth in a way that is helpful? And God, would you keep writing the story of Four Corners Church? Even those people today that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord those that are stepping up to invite their friends and those that will give and those that serve, continue writing our story and we'll give you praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen.